G'day everybody. Today's Bible reading comes from Acts chapter 27, the entire chapter. Let's give you all a minute to find it. Acts chapter 27. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramitium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day, we landed at Sodom, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. From there, we put out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Sinaitis. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the lee of Crete, opposite Salmon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens, near the town of Lacia. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous, because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo, and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Since the harbour was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbour in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept through from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Corda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Certus, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. 
You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when, the min- when about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of all of them. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognise the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship stuck a standbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Well, thanks, Josh. Good morning, everyone. My name's Ella Saxon. For anyone that hasn't met me, I'm a member of the congregation. And uh, every now and again, I've been asked to preach, which has been a real privilege. And on this occasion, with uh, Chris being away on annual leave, uh, it's another opportunity. Uh, Just on a personal note, I'd like to mention first that Just recently I've been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease um, that uh, presents in a few different ways, a few symptoms, uh, one of which is tremors and uh, you might notice that uh, I've got some tremor in my right hand. So they brought in the heavy artillery today, they've got the heavy rostrum which I'll just hang on to. I'm hoping, I'm telling you that so that it won't be too much of a distraction for you. it does have its advantages, like stirring my sugar up in my cup of tea. That's <laughs> fantastic. And you ought to see me wash dishes these days. 
when Chris asked me uh, if I'd like to preach, I wanted to spill the rumour that I told him that I'd give it a shake. <laughs> well, as Michelle intimated earlier, what an adventure Luke takes us on. Setting out from Caesarea, travelling the Mediterranean, it's a trip many people would pay thousands of dollars for these days. It's got an era, uh, an air of romance about it, calling in the ports along the coast before sailing across the open sea to yet another port. Uh, the excitement of changing ships to the one that would eventually take them to Rome. Then having to struggle to hold their course because of the strong wind, but sailing on regardless as the buffeting continued having to pull the lifeboat on board so as not to lose it, passing ropes under the boat to hold it together, dodging sandbars, lowering uh, the anchor to steady the ship. What drama! But that's not all. The ship took such a battering that the cargo needed to be thrown overboard along with the ship's tackle. Then after 14 days, uh, facing the danger of approaching land and the possibility of being dashed against the rocks, some sailors almost deserting in an effort to selfishly save themselves. Men caught up in the whole episode, neglecting to eat. In desperation, attempting to run aground, run the ship aground on a sandy beach by cutting loose the anchors and untying the ropes that held the rudder. Those plans thwarted when the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground anyway. Uh, the bow sticking fast and the stern broken to pieces. Prisoners threatening to be killed. Finally, those who could swim jumping overboard and the others reaching land by holding on to pieces of the broken ship. Phew, we need to take a break. Shakespeare couldn't have written a better drama. It reminds me of my youth. Uh, stories from the boys' own annual containing swashbuckling stories of sailors on the high seas. I think the only thing missing in Luke's story is a number of pirates. <laughs> now we may ask, as theologians have done over the centuries, why did Luke write in such detail about such things? They don't appear to bring much glory to God or a message to the reader. The length of the narrative appears to be uh, way out of proportion to its value. An interpretation of the, of the chapter appears difficult. This could mean one of two things. Firstly, Chris realised this, so did the, decided to take annual leave <laughs> and make me the recipient of the best handball you'll see this footy season. <laughs> secondly, and much more uh, likely, much more seriously, we need to pray. So let's do just that. Heavenly Father, we know that all scripture is God-breathed, that it has a purpose. So we ask that you'd reveal that to us this morning. Do not let your word return to you empty. And in all things, may you and the Lord Jesus Christ be praised. Amen. Now, chapter 27 could be seen as purely an adventure story. If it wasn't for one one man uh, who was on board, and that was the Apostle Paul. He was there as a prisoner in chains, heading to Rome. 
Paul had been confident of get, going to Rome, but probably not in these circumstances. That, that was ever since the Lord stood be, before him, stood near him in Acts 23.11 and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome. How did Paul find himself in such a predicament? Well, you might remember from last week that the chief priests and the Jewish leaders had brought many serious charges against Paul and he was to stand trial before Festus. And given the opportunity, Festus invited King Agrippa to listen to Paul's testimony. And after doing so, he, the governor, Bernice, and those sitting with them began to say to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Then King Agrippa declared to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So off to Rome it was for Paul. When sailing had become dangerous, as we heard, Paul warned the others, Men, I can see that this voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But instead of taking shelter, instead of taking notice of Paul, the majority chose to ignore him and sail on, sail on. Conditions deteriorated to such an extent that Luke writes, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. They'd ignored Paul at their peril. They were now facing the consequences of their actions with no hope of salvation. And it's in that state that Paul reminds me, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. Paul wasn't being arrogant. He just wanted to point out that he'd been correct. And they'd they should be more respectful of his viewpoint in the future. But Paul doesn't leave it there, however. Having received his rebuke, now out of the depths of that despair, the doom and the gloom, Paul speaks a word of encouragement to them. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last, he goes on to say, last night an angel of the Lord to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Don't, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage. Keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. What a testimony by Paul. Not just the God I know, the God I belong to. Not just the God I believe in, the God I serve. Acknowledgement of God, acknowledgement of his faith in front of almost 300 non-believers. What courage by Paul. Nothing could keep Paul from testifying of his God. Not change not chains, not large numbers of unbelieving uh, non-believers, 
Paul didn't appear to be afraid. He was acting with calmness, sincerity and confidence. He knew he'd he knew he'd sorry. He knew he'd been rescued by divine overruling, by God intervening. He knew that it was by God's providence that he would be preserved, that he'd reach Rome safe and sound as well as the others. So let us, be, let us also be encouraged to be like Paul, that no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, we'll be willing to testify of Christ, to tell of this, of the hope we have in him, the salvation we've found in him, tell of our personal experiences at, of God at work in our lives, trying to win people to Christ. Having the attitude that Chris mentioned last week, I want, a pe well, I want, to be, I want people to be like me, to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to give up if we're first rejected, ignored, but continuing on in our pro proclamation of the good news, continuing on in, Christ in steadfast Christian faith and character, keeping our radar switched on for God-given opportunities to tell of his grace, mercy and love. Bolstered by the fact that the Apostle Paul would probably be saying to us, take courage, take courage. The men on the ship would no doubt have been, been afraid, perhaps terrified. Their physical salvation was at stake. So Paul urges them on two occasions, keep up your courage and assures them that they will not perish. It must have given some more trust in Paul. It must have caused some to ask, who is this man? Who is this God he believes in? It must have caused some to inquire of God. The divine promises were the foundation of Paul's, Paul's uh, summons to The divine promises were the foundation of Paul's summons to everybody to maintain their courage, for he believed in God, in his character and covenant. So out of the despair, hope, good news, they'd all be saved. So why should they have listened to Paul? Surely he was just another prisoner. It appeared as if he was no longer the honoured apostle, an ordinary man amongst ordinary people, a lonely Christian except for Aristarchus and Luke, among, as we've heard, a boatload of non-Christians. Well, they should have listened to him for no other reason than that he was a seasoned sailor. He'd made 11 trips to the Mediterranean, not counting this one that he was on currently. He'd travelled over 5,500 kilometres. But the real reason was that despite his circumstances, he was still Christ's apostle, Christ's messenger. He spoke then and he's still speaking today as if Christ himself is speaking, witnessing to believers and non-believers alike. Paul stands out as a leader because 
of his steadfast Christian faith and character, born out of his meeting with the risen Christ, born out of meeting the risen Christ on the Damascus Road. He had seen the light as we heard last week, the light that is Jesus Christ, the light that is still guiding sinners to repentance today. We cannot just listen to Jesus and reject Paul, ignore Paul. For Christ himself, when speaking to Ananias in Acts 9, 15 to 16, declares, This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my sake. What an endorsement for Paul. Paul is Christ's evangelist. He needs to be listened to. He should be listened to. What he says is true and reasonable. There is salvation in his words. Ignore Paul, ignore Christ. From verse 33 we read, Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, You've been in constant suspense and have gone without food and haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair on his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board, writes Luke. Paul gives another confirmation that they'd be saved. They would be able to see, they would be able to see God at work in his actions. They'd be able to see what happens when God is in control. Things would unfurl just as Paul said they would. Again, his testimony is true. It's to be listened to. It was an ordinary meal consecrated by thanksgiving. But Paul's actions combine spirituality with common sense, faith with words, a Christian bearing witness to a life by, changed by an encounter with Christ. He believed God would keep his promises and again had courage to say grace in the presence of hard bitter, hard, bitter pagans. When Paul wasn't listened to earlier, we heard all hope of salvation had been lost. Now we see that the hope and promise of salvation had only come through Paul's message, and that was from heaven itself. After 14 nights, when it looked as though the ship would might be lost and some sailors were trying to save themselves by letting down the lifeboat, Paul stresses to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Fortunately, this time, they listened to Paul. What he was saying was that there was only one way to be saved. They couldn't save them be saved by any other means, any other way, by their own doing or devices, try as they like. His way was absolute, definite. 
So it is with us. We have only one way to be saved, and that's through Jesus Christ. Saved from what, we might ask? Well, saved from the punishment for our sin that we've committed in our lives. Saved from judgment and condemnation. 1 Peter 2.21, speaking of Jesus, says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. It's, just not, it's, just, it's not just that Christ is the saviour of all people, but that he is the only saviour. Salvation is found in him and him alone. Listen to the words of Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And John 14.5, where Thomas uh, asked the Lord, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus, in his reply to Thomas, says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. And we can grasp the uniqueness of Christ when we read John 3.18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Sobering words, aren't they? On one hand, belief, no condemnation, salvation, everlasting life. And on the other, unbelief, condemnation, everlasting shame and contempt. We may ask ourselves, how can Christ claim such exclusivity? Well, he alone is worthy. Why? For as we've just heard, he alone died to pay the penalty which our sins incurred. His blood and his blood only were shed. He was the perfect sacrifice the sinless Lamb of God, the sinless Son of God. But the good news is that he just, he not only died, he rose from the dead and will gather those who believe in him to spend eternity with him. Hence our confidence in the day of judgment. Our hope is surely in him. The salvation of those on the boat was physical, attained through listening to Paul's message, Paul's warnings, trusting in them. The, the salvation that we'll hear of next week in Acts 28, 28, where Paul says, therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they'll listen is eternal, though there is still a physical element to it. Why is Paul so persistent in his warnings, adamant in them? It's because he knows the outcome of non-belief in God's Son. 
the outcome of disobedience and rejection. He knows the consequences of people's actions. He knows hell is physical torment. Speaking of those who reject God and his ways, Jesus compared them to weeds in Matthew 13, 42, saying, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Eternal fire It's painful, terrifying, to be avoided at all costs. So what of us who are saved? Do we stop listening to Paul's warnings? Romans 6.1 says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul asks, to which he responds with the sounding, God forbid, the words almost jump out of scripture at us. So our reply should also be. Paul still gives us warnings. Listen to Paul's warnings to the Galatians church, to Christian men and women like us. When, when speaking of the acts of the flesh in five, Galatians 5, 19 to 26, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, sobering thoughts, but at the same time a reminder, an encouragement to live holy lives, to avoid such things, shun such things. Our behaviour matters to God. Paul doesn't want us to jeopardise our salvation. But Paul, as with the ship's crew, gives us a word of encouragement. Take courage. Also gives us words of encouragement, reminding us of the words in 1 Corinthians 6.11, reminding us that we were washed we were sanctified, we were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And speaking of the Holy Spirit, we can be further encouraged by the words of Galatians 6.8. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, will reap a harvest if we do not give up. What wonderful promises to us. What encouragement to press on in our faith, to run the race until the end. Praise God. Paul is urging us to be obedient, to, to realise what we do here and now matters, to take a serious view of how we live and not to grieve the Holy Spirit. He adds further in Galatians 5.25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. If you're here today and you haven't heard of the salvation found in Jesus Christ, or perhaps you've heard it and ignored it, rejected it, 
then I, like Paul, urge you to consider Christ. Perhaps you think your sin is too great to be forgiven, that you have no hope of salvation. Well, listen to what the Apostle Paul himself said in 1 Timothy 1.15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm in the worst. I'm the worst, he says. So he thought the same as you. Good news is that God forgave Paul and he's willing, to able, willing and able to forgive you. No sin is too great that it cannot be forgiven. Looking back at Acts 26 from last week, when Paul testified before Agrippa, one version of scripture has his reply as being, you almost persuaded me to become a Christian. What tragedy lies in those words? You almost persuaded me to have my sins forgiven. You almost persuaded me to be free of condemnation and judgment. You almost persuaded me to gain eternal life. Missed by this much. Sadly, tragically, he ignored Paul at his peril. I urge you, don't ignore Paul this morning. No other religion offers forgiveness, resurrection, eternal life. Don't ignore Paul's Christ's apostle. There's salvation in his words. Don't miss out by this much. You can accept Christ where you're sitting today, whether that's here in the hall or home on the couch. All of the men on Paul's ship were saved by listening to him and listening to Christ himself. No one was lost. The good news is that that's God's will. For we read in 1 Timothy 2, 3 to 4, he's God our saviour who wants all people, all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And why is that? The familiar words of John 3:16. For God so loved the world, so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Don't delay any longer. Come to Christ today. If you feel that God's been speaking to you today, prompting you, if you need feel the need to say a prayer of repentance, or if you just want to talk to someone about something that was raised in today's sermon, then come and see myself or the, per the regular person sitting next to you. But I urge you, don't leave this place until your needs have been met. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for speaking to us this morning. Thank you for the salvation found in Christ and Christ alone. May we be able to say at the end of our days the words that Paul utters in 2 Timothy 4, 7. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And may we, like him, 
look forward to that crown of righteousness and eternal life with you. Amen.